Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 87, where in a moment, we look at responsible investing with the help of today's guest expert, Tom Buffum of Bruin Dolphin. So that's your show topic and it's on the way. Like I say, in just a second, but please bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. And you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows because in our programmes to date, we featured loads of stuff, pensions, investing, life insurance, and loads more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. And last week, we looked at new build mortgages. Remember, we can drill down and focus on pretty much anything forensically. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll get us there. Like I say, an enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And then that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis, and with me as always, the star of our show, it's Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you today? Good, thank you. Now, another guest this time, Tom Buffum of uh, Brewing Dolphin, here to discuss responsible investing. Welcome, Tom. Um, we'll get on to the, uh, the subject of responsible investing in just a moment, but maybe you could tell us a bit about yourself uh, and Bruin Dolphin, first of all. Hi, John. Hi, Phil. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Bruin Dolphin are one of the largest wealth managers in the UK with a history that goes back over 150 years. I joined a year ago as part of the team that managed uh, manage the managed portfolio service, and I specifically lead on sustainability within those products. Okay, now, as if it needed explaining, Tom, Phil is the financial whiz here. He's our resident expert. I'm just a gob and a stick, really. And I'm not afraid to ask tough questions as and when they, they arise in my head. Now, in the dim, dark, distant past in our portfolio of shows, I can recall looking at something tagged as ethical investing, I think. Is this a similar thing? I mean, give us a, a broad definition of what responsible investing is exactly. It sounds relatively new, but in real terms, the concept of it's probably been around much longer, has it? Yeah, you're right. The first modern examples of responsible investing were carried out in the 18th century. Quite, <laughs> so yeah, quite a long history there. I mean, their philosophy was not to gain money at the expense of losing our souls. And so they refused to participate directly or indirectly in the slave trade. I mean, that is ethical investing. It's kind of aligning your, your monetary investments with your moral values. And you kind of, it's kind of exclusionary type of investment. So you exclude stuff you just don't agree with. You've, that's been around for quite a while. I think the more modern, and I know we're going into a bit more detail, ESG investing, responsible investing, that has, has more, many different flavors. It's not just about exclusions now. And some of it is about positive alignment, trying to find investment opportunities on, on parts of the investment universe that will hopefully do better, but also making sure that your money is kind of having some kind of force for good. And then, at the, you know, the very far end of that spectrum, there's impact investing, where you're literally investing money with the aim of it having in the world in a positive way. So that's that's a lot higher bar. That's quite hard to reach, in my view. Um, but But there is a bit of a spectrum out there. I was having a look through some notes about the show before we came on, and um, you're not to know this, but one of my pet hates is acronyms. They get right up my nose. So let's smash that one right now before we get any further. There's one that you mentioned there called ESG when you delve into this world. First of all, what does that stand for? And then in real terms, just sort of please explain what it, it represents, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's a really important one. So ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. And they're groups of risk factors that could affect a stock price. Um, they're specifically called out 
because they're not part of traditional financial analysis. Basically, they were too difficult to price and incorporate into financial models, which is why, why they've always been kind of on the edge. But the, you know, we're, we're coming to the belief, and there's a lot of research out there and papers, that actually these are important, even though they don't sort of occur every day, every year, and they are really hard to price, they do have an impact on your investment, um, and therefore they should be thought about as part of research. What would you say an ESG portfolio would look like today, Tom? And, and how would that kind of differ from, say, a non-ESG or, or more traditional kind of portfolio? Yeah, it's a really good question. It really depends on who you ask. So I think almost every fund manager out there, almost all asset houses, believe that they are now beginning to incorporate ESG factors into the portfolio. So in doing that, arguably, you could say any portfolio looks like it could integrate ESG factors. Um, and it depends on the fund manager's approach. But what we find is the best in class type managers, the people who are really on the cutting edge, really driving the agenda of this and, and asking more difficult questions and, and a, a bit more discerning, their portfolios do look a bit different. And so they would probably have more of a gro- what we call a growth tilt. So they'll be less invested in, in sort of heavy industry type companies. They're probably more overweight um, technology companies, companies that currently have quite high valuation multiples and, and le- maybe look less attractive in in factors like price to book. So I realize I'm getting really jargony now and I don't want to upset John. So, so yeah, they, they, they do have a bit of a tilt and they can, they can look a bit different. Just, it, but it depends on who you ask and what their philosophy is. I know, I guess the, the thing with like ESG is it can be quite, not subjective, but it can mean so many different things to different people, can it? Yeah, I, I, th- I think that is exactly right. I mean, why don't I give you some examples of some of the subfacts? And it depends on, you know, how how you stress each of them um, to what's important to you and, and, and also what your investment philosophy is. So we, you know, we don't lean heavily on the exclusion rate because actually if you do that, you can't take your voice away from the table. So, you know, shareholders get a vote. Um, shareholders typically engage with company management. So if you say, I'm not going to hold this company, we believe that industry is, is moving in the wrong direction. You've taken, you know, that moral stance away from the conversation of talking to that management. So I think it is worth doing where certain where you completely disagree and they just you're never going to see an alignment. But it, it does feel quite extreme to divest where there's room for improvement and things could change for the better. And so we, we you know we try and use um, exclusions quite lightly. But sorry, go go giving some examples of what you know what the factors are because it shows you how differently people can treat this. So if we look at environmental factors, they're things like land use and deforestation. They're really important in our food supply chain. Climate change and carbon emissions are getting a lot of scrutiny from governments and regulators. Um, But also environmental includes all forms of waste. So it might be air pollution, water pollution. And water pollution has been really big in the the sky at the moment with a lot of the UK utility companies um, dumping sewage, for example. And, And you know, if they get fines, that affects shareholders. And, and so, you know, you could pick any of those factors and say, this is important to me. And you would come out with potentially a very different portfolio. And that's environmental. So on the social side, it includes everything from health and safety um, in the workplace um, to the treatment of human rights in the company supply chain. It also includes, you know, gender pay equality and, and, and other social issues like that. And governance are more about the standards of how companies run. 
Um, so board composition, which also includes diversity, um, which has been shown to lead to superior business performance, interestingly, if you have a more diverse board, um, but also things like bribery and corruption, corporate political lobbying, as well as data security. The thing that strikes me about all of this, Tom, is that investors are there first and foremost to make money. I mean, I dare say a lot of them would be delighted to know their money is being invested ethically and responsibly. But that, I imagine, would be a happy byproduct for a lot of them, not so much a must-have. The main aspect has to be the return on that investment. So if the responsible investment market is going to work, it has to deliver on a financial basis, does it? <laughs> this is a hotly debated question, Phil. Sorry, John. Um, uh, and there's um, scores of research papers out there which come to varying conclusions. Um, and you can find, if you know, if you look for it, you can find at least one to support whichever stance you take. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's also interesting, the market back to the last 10 years has seen ESG or sustainable strategies materially outperform almost sort of two to two and a half percent a year. Um, but in my opinion, that's for unrelated reasons. That's due to the thing I mentioned earlier about them being overweight, more growthy areas, which has just been in the perfect sweet spot with falling interest rates. Um, those kind of stocks have done really, really well. You know, ignoring the, the current market backdrop, I mean, because actually that's changed since the beginning of the year. Since 2022, we've seen interest rates rising. All of a sudden, the ESG and sustainable strategies have underperformed. So, um, you know, that regime can change. So you kind of got to try and ignore some of, some of this extra stuff that goes on. Um, and if you sort of read the papers, aggregate it all up, we do think it does have an impact, maybe not on financial returns. I don't, I'm not sure that, Factoring in ESG will mean your portfolio will necessarily return more money, but it should reduce the volatility um, because a lot of the things that go wrong are downside risk events. And so if you remove some of those, ultimately, you should have less of that downside volatility, but it does come at a cost to the business. So you lose a tiny bit of the upside and broadly, those roughly even out. So, you know, the idea is you should be able to do well with your money without losing much on the upside, if anything. And, you know, some argue you can gain some upside. Some say you will, it will have a slight cost. I mean, the jury's out, honestly, on that side. You know, that's, that's where we stand. Yeah. Reduce the vol, a volatility. How, how long have you been involved with it, the sustainable managed portfolio service, Tom? Yeah, so Bruin Dolphin launched theirs um, April last year. And I've been a part of that almost since the beginning. Yeah. At my previous firm, I helped write ESG policies. I got, I, I tried to launch a similar product, didn't get the support of management there. And it, but it's something that has also been part of my work in previous firms as well. So it's something I've always been interested in, something I've always been keen yeah. part of. But it's only the last year that I've been focused on it, or 100 percent of my job, sort of 50 hours a week. What's been Bruin's approach to to kind of ESG in the the time you've been there? Well, because we believe that. You know, it, we think it's advantageous for all investment approaches. We actually take a responsible investment approach to all of our portfolios. So that means every meeting with a fund manager we have, we will ask a few questions specifically on ESG topics. And all the research notes we write include a section evaluating their approach. However, you know, that that isn't a prescriptive approach. That won't be the final deciding factor. And we appreciate that isn't that doesn't go far enough for some clients, which is why we launched the sustainable uh, MPS last yeah. year that does go much further and does exclude some specific 
sectors such as tobacco and thermal coal, as well as trying to take advantage of some of the, the new industries coming up um, and taking specific climate change type exposure, where we think there's some really big investment opportunities that will become huge industries that almost don't exist today. And, and that could lead to hopefully some strong returns in that area. So yeah, we've got, we kind of got a bit for everybody, I would say. Yeah. How has the performance of the, the sustainable MPS been since it was launched? Yeah, no, we're very happy with performance. I mean, it's it's done what you'd expect given the style bias. So there is a style bias to the um, sustainable range because of um, they are best-in-class managers. And what that's led to is, for the first sort of nine months, strong outperformance as, you know, the, the lower interest rate regime continued. And then it's almost you can almost put a point on the 1st of January this year where the market changed, inflation worries became to the fore. And then, of course, Russia invading Ukraine really accelerated that trend and has really accelerated um, central banks into taking action. And that market shift has caused a change in dynamics between our portfolio. So our sustainable portfolio service underperformed our standard portfolio service from that point. And it's it's given back slightly more than all the outperformance it captured there. And, and that is exactly what we'd expect to see, is in different market environments, the, the different tilts will cause um, different outperformance of each one. But yeah, broadly, we're really happy with performance. Yeah. Well, one thing I've seen with, with the advisors here is that they, they're getting some clients that are saying, right, let's put half our money into the, the sustainable MPS, maybe the rest into the, the other one. I, I'm seeing more and more people do that all the time. And you, you'll get others that will say, no, I want to put everything into to the sustainable MPS. So it, I, I guess it just depends on, on people's choice there as well. Yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly right. It's, it's about people finding the right product for them. Because for some people, like, this is all hot air and they, they're just not interested, right? They mm-hmm. have money for their retirement to pay for their kids' education and that's their goal. They, you know, they might be sceptical for whatever reason that they can really have an influence on the world and, and that's absolutely fine. But then for others, it's, well, why wouldn't I do this? Like, I, I, you know, if this does have an impact, and maybe they're not sure, but if it does, it's costing me very little, uh, hopefully nothing, um, but there's no guarantees of that. And so they might put some of their portfolio or even all of it, depending on the strength of their views and, and if they find something that really sort of presses the right buttons for them. You're sort of skirting around something here that, that I've been thinking about as you, you've both been talking. And, and there was something else that flashed into my head as well, which you might think, well, how did he get there? Do you remember when Harrison Ford walked in and, and gave this speech about his house is burning down? The best thing that we can do for the sake of the planet is to get the hell out of the road and let the, the sort of younger generation come through and, and take over from us because they'll do the right thing. I wonder when we're talking about responsible investing, is it something of a a younger generational investor that you see coming through for this, Tom? Is it more someone that is savvy about the world that's going on around them rather than that guy, as you say, that's possibly approaching retirement, just wants to see his his investments come to fruition and and help his kids out and get them off to university and all of that? Is it a younger person's portfolio? Yeah, I I think I I never want to generalise because the truth is individuals all have different views, right? So, you know, if you look at the statistics, I think generally you will see the younger investors more leaning this way. But, you know, that's not to say we don't have investors in their 80s and 90s who are interested in the new products and sure. up with that. So, you know, I think, yes, statistically at a broad level, what you said has truth. 
but it really comes down to what everyone wants from an individual level. And, and there you get the full diversity across the full age spectrum. So I don't think it's 100% fair to pigeonhole anyone. Yeah, I mean, I, I can I can think of one 90-something-year-old investor called David Attenborough, probably, who would be right into, <laughs> right into exactly. ESG investment. The stupid question line may just have been activated in my head, but I'll preface it with my thinking here. It, it's all very well having morals, wanting to do the right thing, but at a time when needs must, the UK government's licensed more oil exploration in the North Sea. So we're not as dependent on other nations for our energy. Where a matter of months ago, COP26 took place in Glasgow and there were pledges galore to stop reliance on fossil fuels. Fast forward those few months, complete 180, and not many people seem especially fussed, despite everything we know. If you then look at responsible investing, why is it so important? Why must it succeed? And Why does it matter? Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... Yeah, really big question, massive um, group of questions, really. Sorry. No, 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 that's, that's great. It's what, what we're here to talk about. So, I mean, yeah, I, firstly, I want to make sure that this isn't 100% about climate change, right? So climate you know, change... I, I know. E, right, but the E is just one of those letters. So there are other social things that are part of this, but probably climate change is the easiest thing to get behind, the biggest galvanizer for getting people into this space because it is a problem that affects everyone. Right? I think I think the pandemic, well, you know, has massively changed the, the landscape and it's accelerated the trend of investment in space because it's really woken people up to how, what is seemingly a distant problem, right? So the pandemic started as a virus in China. We read about it on the news in January, February, and everyone thought, oh goodness, you know, China have got some trouble mm. over. But no one thought that this is going to come here. It's going to completely change our way of life at that point. Or maybe a few people did, but very few people kind of were open to that. And climate change is kind of one of those similar issues. But it's one of those we've been talking about for decades. And I do think it's almost a, a real silver lining of the pandemic for all the, all the challenges and, and actually the suffering we've, we've endured through it. It has been a bit of a wake-up call for many, many people. Like these seemingly distant problems are going to come and face us. And if we don't deal with them, the consequences could be a lot more difficult to do than taking the action now. And that's that's why, I mean, on the climate change side, I do think action is really important now because changing course now is relatively easy compared to, well, if let's say sea levels rose 10, 10 meters. And, and look, that isn't the base case of most climate models. This is hyperbole. So I you know, don't want to flag that. I'm not trying to scaremonger. But imagine that happened and half of London becomes underwater. Most of, most of the planet live on coastal cities. So if we had flooding across many, many cities, the whole, the whole way of life of humans would drastically change. I mean, it's, it's one of those things, climate change, like we're not there to save the planet. The planet doesn't actually care, right? You know, the dinosaurs got wiped out by a meteorite. What happened? Like millions of years later, mammals came to the fore and there's a new way of life. Like the planet will go on. Life will go on on Earth. It's kind of saving humanity as we know it and the, and the structures we have now and not having to rebuild from scratch because climate change is really a social issue and, and about stopping that and about minimising the disruption to what we have today because i i you know if it goes badly we'll see mass migration across the globe i mean people don't like immigration now imagine what happens if if you know huge swathes of the globe become unlivable we just it's just going to be global catastrophe so you know i really do think we can avoid this but it's not free and that's that's the other challenge of it 
But then, you know, you, you mentioned at the beginning of your, your question about the UK's change on North Sea oil, for example. Mm. And that's a really, you know, really good point, right? So we need to do less burning fossil fuels. I think, I think that's clear for climate change. The question is, is like, well, how easy is that to do? Should we rely on Russia? And those are really good other political questions. And, and they're not irrelevant, right? If we, you know, buy oil from Russia, gas from Russia, that comes with its own set of consequences. And the truth is we can't, Greta Thunberg, I think she's, you know, brilliant, inspirational, but very idealistic. And at the same time, we can't just turn it all off overnight. Politically, that's untenable. There'd be riots from the population, we'd be starvation as we can't actually run our economy in the right way. So this is a trend. Things are going to take time and we will need some fossil fuels to be burnt while we build up a renewable energy infrastructure. The, the key is just making it happen as quickly as possible, causing as little damage as possible, which is why the, all the net zero pledges are over to 2050. That's a, you know, it's nearly a 30, it's 28 time, year time horizon from now. So, you know, I'll be um, retiring by the time that yeah, I'll, um, I'll probably be dead. So, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully not. I'm sure you won't be. Not, yeah, they got life expectancies are in the 80s. I think I think you're all right there, John. But yeah, it's 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 long time horizons for a reason. And but that's why we do need to take action now because it, you know, we, as we, as I said, you can't turn it off overnight. This transition is going to take 20, 30 years to happen. We need to start now, and we need to take it seriously. I think people's attitudes are changing and you see like things like COP26, it raises a lot more awareness of, of things, does it? And but one, one of the questions I was to, to ask you, Tom, I know that there's a term often called greenwashing and I think that's where companies almost like label a, a product or service as maybe being sustainable or, or ethical when sometimes that's not really true. And I know quite a lot of the times the, the word green credentials sort of comes up, but you okay to tell us a wee bit about sort of greenwashing and, and things maybe investors should look out for there? Yeah, I mean, this is a massive time. I mean, we did a podcast on greenwashing alone, <laughs> but I'll, I'll keep it brief and I'll, I'll kind of share my three top tips, I think. So I think one is be curious, but ask questions. So if you're investing in a, in a product that has green characteristics, sustainable, you know, ask how the product looks to affect change. Um, rather than just accepting the claims on the marketing material, because, you know, they'll write some great things on there and it will sound good, but you really want to dig into that detail. I think also my second tip is to look for challenging accreditations. So the majority of our industry, uh, sorry, the majority of asset managers are signed up to the UN principles of responsible investment. So that's not a high bar. A more impressive commitment would be something that is difficult, like the UK stewardship code. So that, that is actually quite challenging to be accepted onto that signatory list. And I think the third is, is just to, to, to do research, to ask other investors and to speak to advisors. So people who know more than you and, and, and just get yourself informed um, because that will help the first point and being curious and asking those questions. Yeah you know, you'll be in a, in a much better place to kind of make the decision on, on whether something someone's telling you is overstating it, over-promising, or whether it's really delivered. So, you know, hopefully listening to this podcast will, will help slightly in, in that. Uh, you mentioned net zero ambitions, um, Tom. Tell us about Bruin's own net zero ambition. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important that we... You know, we lead by example that we don't just sort of judge others sit here um, saying you should do better, but actually, you know, Bruin Dolphin need to be part of that journey as well. So we signed up to net zero last year. 
we're currently going through the process of target setting, which is, is a pretty massive piece of work. So you look at all the current activities the business does um, and what our journey to net zero will be like with the aim of setting ambitious but achievable targets. Once that's complete, we'll announce the, the fi final date that Bruin Dolphin will set to become a net zero company. So we hopefully won't be emitting any carbon to the atmosphere by our business activities alongside interim targets so that clients and other stakeholders can see if we're really following through on those commitments. That process should be finished in the next couple of months. So frustratingly, um, I can't actually share, you, share with you until that public announcement's been made, but hopefully it will be soon. Well, one thing I was going to say, going back to the, the greenwashing, I know the last time I spoke with yourself, Tom, we were speaking about a big fast food chain that turned their <laughs> logo green and just it's things like that, is it? It's gimmicks and, and, and things. But I, I've got to say, Bruin, for, for ourselves as financial advisors, are brilliant. They, they give us, I mean, we, we get a quarterly report on the, the sustainable managed portfolio service and, and it's excellent. I mean, in, in there, it goes through like introduction. It tells us about like what, what the fund's been doing, the, the various sort of strategy in, in the fund, what worked, what didn't work. And it's so open and transparent. It, it's really excellent. And then it goes into the a bit of the fund and focus and it's for, for investors who really want to, to delve deep into things, documents like that are, are excellent. So the, the support we get from Bruin really is, is brilliant. And but one another question I had for you, Tom, was how, how do you see the, the sustainable managed portfolio service going over the, the next sort of couple of years? Yeah, the demand is 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 pretty good. So we've seen even even since the start of the year, where where things have changed a bit in terms of relative performance, as I mentioned, the you know inflows have been really steady, which is great. So I think, as as you said earlier, I think what's driving this is actually increased awareness, people really caring that if they can make a difference by changing their investments, that that actually they they might well do that. And so I, I think there's long term sustainable demand there. If you, I didn't mean to use the word sustainable, but yeah, I, I, <laughs> this is a trend that is just going to last. That said, I do think the pandemic really accelerated that. So we saw huge inflows across the industry into sustainable products in 2020 and 2021. And I don't think that's going to be repeated, right? I think that was kind of a one off injection and i think what we've settled down to is more of a steady state of increased demand and and yeah and i, and I think that is going to last for at least the foreseeable future so if someone listening to this is interested in, in in this kind of investing and they want to make their money work for good as well as for themselves what's your best bit of advice for, for getting started tom firstly definitely do your own research um but i mean the other one is talk to your advisor right so your advisor, it, it depends on the individual. They might not be experts themselves, but there'll be someone in their firm who's really plugged into this, really interested. And I'm sure they can put you in front of the, the person who, who that really knows their stuff. And they're going to be great sounding board to, to really ask the questions, get into the detail, and they'll point you in the right direction. Because um, it, it really depends on, on what your specific thing is like if you're interested in climate change you'll be interested in a certain area if you're interested in i don't know women's pay equality and those social issues they'll, they'll put you in a slightly different direction so um it really is as individual as the person in their interest and and that's why your advisor is the best person to to really help guide you on that 
I know Brilliant. in the past as well, Tom, one, one of the things we spoke about is like I, I mentioned earlier, things can sometimes be a wee bit subjective and you've got like locally, I, I stay in a place called Ellen and we've got Brewdog here. So they, they're a massive firm now and like their sort of ESG credentials are, they're promoting that all the time. And then you would get other people that say, well, it's a, a brewing company, so we don't want to invest in that. So I get it can be real subjective as to what the, the client wants, I guess. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point. Yeah, alcohol companies are excluded by a lot of people. We don't actually include them in our exclusions in our sustainable products. But I know for some people they, they do. But it doesn't mean the company can't be managed better. You know, Brew Brewdog, I know do push this agenda, but then there have also been questions on, on some of the initiatives they run and, and how they uh, treat their employees as well. So and that's that's why it is separated out into the E, the S, and the G. Mm. Because, you know, a company could be doing great things on the environment. Tesla's a great example. You, you know, they, they're driving the transition to electric cars. That's brilliant. But actually, if they don't treat their employees well and they prevent them from unionizing if they want to, or they fire people for speaking up, like they, they've got some issues on the social side. And, you know, with the tweets that we get from Elon Musk, maybe they have some issues on the governance side. It doesn't mean that company can't be run better. And that's where stewardship and engagement, so using that shareholder voice to really hold the company to account on the bits it's not doing so well on are really, really important. And, and that's kind of one of our key focuses is actually rather than excluding everything is using that stewardship and engagement and really trying to drive companies to do better and, and live to a higher standard in wherever they're falling short and it's different for each company brilliant um, here we go phil let's uh, get into the part of the show where you share a little bit of your own life story what have you got regarding this one on responsible investing i'm a big advocate of the the brewing dolphin sustainable mps i i think it's great and i've got money in that myself and i know at the office that the guys here are speaking to clients about it more and more all the time and, and to be honest a lot of that's being driven by the clients which is a, a great thing as well you, you sometimes find that Advisors are often the ones pushing things, but I think we're getting more and more people asking us all the time for that that sort of thing. And and it's, I I don't know, just an industry as a whole, it's becoming a lot more sort of widespread. People are knowing a lot more about it, which is great. And I think the the more advisors know about it, the better they can help clients with it as well. I feel we always do this bit too. You find inspiration, I know, through, through various people you admire, and you do love a quote. What have you got on the subject of today's show? Responsible investing. Not sure who came away with this quote, but the quote this week, remember there is no planet B. <laughs> now, uh, Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your financial queries. If you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask him anonymously if you prefer. Let's get on to this week's contact details coming up in just a second. I'll give it to you after these. Here's our first question. Hi, Phil. Like the rest of the population, I'm largely terrified regarding the cost of living crisis and especially energy prices. Realistically, when do you think the impact of the energy increases will hit worst? Will it be after the second increase as we head into winter and it turns colder again? Yeah, a lot of experts are, are kind of predicting the energy prices are going to rise again. The, the price cap gets reviewed, um, I think it's in October. Yeah. Um, and at the minute, they're kind of expecting that to, to go up. And it's not a good time of year for it to go up because that's when people will start, things get colder at that time of year. So people are going to be using a lot more energy then. So I do think the worst will be to come and probably run about winter time, unfortunately, when people are 
using things more. I suppose the, the thing is as well, it'll depend on if you've got some sort of deal at the moment where you know, you're tied in, when that expires and, and that tariff is no longer available yeah, to you, it. that's going to be a, an influencer as well. I thought, yeah, I, I know, definitely. So you've got some people that are just on the, the sort of standard tariffs now. Some will be approaching the end of their deals at some point in time. And as the energy prices have fairly rocketed over the, the last week while, and it's expected just to, to go up further later in the year as well, unfortunately. Oh, happy days. Next one, Darren in Dumfries. Hi, Phil. Simple question. Is there an officially recommended amount to have in savings in order to retire comfortably? What is the magic number, Phil? You know, that, that figure's going to vary so much to, from person to person. I mean, you, you'll get some people that, that spend a lot, others that won't spend so much. Some people that are used to having big, big wages coming in, others that have a more modest wage. So that that would vary from person to person. What I would say there is that a good financial advisor, they can look at things like cash flow modeling with you. They, they can work out how much you need when you retire and then also look at how much you need to save now to, to get there. So that a good financial advisor would be able to help with that. And given what we've just been discussing about energy, if you live in a forest, you have log burning stoves in every room, you might be a bit easier to retire than uh, than some others. I would just say as well, before you get in touch uh, with a question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered a, a fair few topics so far. We might have touched on what you're interested in. I'm John Ellis. Thank you for joining us for the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. And thank you to Tom Buffum from Bruin Dolphin uh, for being our guest. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Uh, search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or join the Facebook group for the show. Search Personal Finance Community. That's Personal Finance Community on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Or why not email Phil a question he can answer on a future show. His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question and Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured Again, we won't use your real name if that's what you prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us. And please follow us on Apple or whatever you get your podcasts. That way you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. Thanks very much, John. And thanks again for coming on, Tom. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, to have you on the show today. And I know Bruin Dolphin, like I say, we, we get brilliant support from, from Bruin. And I mean, it's a, a FTSE 250 company with over 50 billion assets and a really absolute joy to deal with. I know they've been around, probably, I think it's about Oh, 1962 is, yeah. is the official year. Yeah. A long time. Yeah. I hope I hope my business is going as long as that. And when I'm all <laughs> gone. So but no, it's been a pleasure, Tom. Thanks very much for coming on. No, no, oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I hope it's interesting to, to your listeners. And yeah, if there's any questions or anything and you know you want some to answer the question, you yeah. want some information, I'm happy to provide. And yeah, brilliant. Thank you, John, as well, for no, you're welcome. Thank you. 